This is Hope, Behavioral Health in COVID-19 from Health Management Associates. I'm Annalisa Baker, your host, a senior consultant at HMA, a licensed clinical social worker, and a proud lifelong New Yorker. This is a series we're creating specifically for you, New York's behavioral health providers. We created this for New York, the epicenter, but we think this information will be valuable to anyone in the behavioral health field. We're here today to talk about health equity amidst the protests that have erupted because of George Floyd's death, and not just because of his death. This is a frank conversation about the culmination of a series of injustices that have been happening over time against Black people and how this manifests in healthcare. I'm here with Laquisha Grant, a senior consultant at HMA who works to advance correctional health policy and cross-sector service collaboration for people affected by mental illness and substance use. Hi, Laquisha. I want to just start off our conversation by just checking in with you and ask you how you're feeling right now about George Floyd's death, the resulting protests. I feel sadness, anger, compassion for his family, a a lot of negative feelings, but I've been able to push through those. And I have some feelings of optimism that have come from seeing how the country and the world is responding to his death. And I feel hopeful that his death might actually be a catalyst for some much needed changes in this country and perhaps globally. Why now? Why do you think this is taking on such a big, big wave now? Part of it is the fact that it was recorded and it was so heart-wrenching and the whole world was able to see it. I also think that it, it came on the heels of a number of other injustices, some of them relating to COVID-19 and the disproportionate effect that the virus had on communities of color, particularly Black people. We also saw it here in New York City how Black people were being over-policed when it came to the enforcement of social distancing laws. We also here in New York saw the case of Christian Cooper, who was in Central Park birdwatching when a woman threatened to call the police on him, or actually did call the police on him. The footage from that incident actually came out on the same day as the George Floyd murder. Seeing both of those hand in hand, it painted a really stark picture of the realities of police interactions with Black men specifically. Wow, it's a perfect storm of multiple tragic local, world, and national events. The pandemic with what have been isolated incidents of racism if we didn't have social media. Right. Can you say more as we hear the sirens in the background? (laughs) Um, So can you say a little bit more about the disproportionate effects of of COVID-19 for Black and Brown communities, in New York at least? What data is there? Well, New York City was one of the first cities to publicly track and start reporting on COVID-related cases, hospitalizations, and deaths by race. COVID really 
was able to highlight some of the health disparities that already existed, not just in New York City, but nationally. If we were having this conversation about health equity three weeks ago, we would have just been talking about health disparities in the context of COVID. And the fact that COVID really magnified some of those disparities as evidenced by the mortality rate from COVID for Black Americans is four times that of white Americans. Nationally, uh, the 40 states that have reported on COVID-related mortalities, African Americans make up 13% of the population, but make up 25% of COVID-related deaths. Wow. Now following the murder of George Floyd, we're really looking at how racism actually impacts those health inequities that were highlighted by COVID. So let's talk about the the structure that comprises health inequities, disparities here in America. I think we should start by defining health equity. And when I think of health equity, that means to me that everyone has the opportunity to attain their highest level of health. And to me, that also means that everyone has the same fair experiences within the healthcare delivery system. We know that people of color experiences within the healthcare system are marred with mistrust that stems back from slavery. We know that people of color generally are not listened to in the same way when receiving healthcare services and speaking to doctors. There's a lot of evidence about that specifically related to maternal mortality. Black women are four times more likely than white women to have a pregnancy-related death, specifically Black women over the age of 30. When researchers have unpacked that, they found that Black women are not listened to when they seek care. Healthcare professionals have admitted that they believe that Black people have a higher tolerance for pain than their white counterparts and will be less likely to prescribe them pain medication. There's been a lot of research and documentation of biases that exist within the healthcare field. And so it's really important that when we talk about health equity and we talk about improving health disparities, that we start with the healthcare industry, that we start with providers, and that we ask providers to do work around addressing their own implicit biases. How do we do that? What what exactly are we asking providers? There are providers that have a self-image of not being racist, having a circle of friends who are comprised of a mix of people of color, people who are white, How do you break through that self-awareness? I would imagine that most healthcare providers do not consider themselves racist, but what we're hearing a lot now is a call to be anti-racist for one. What does that mean? What is your definition of that? 
I was equating being anti-racist or being not racist as the same thing, but you're calling it out as something more intentional. It is. Yeah. The difference between not being racist and being anti-racist is that you do something about racism. You take steps to combat racism and it's not enough to just sit back and say, well, I'm not racist. I believe in equality and equity for all. We have to take it a step further and actually hold conversations like you and I are having where we talk about racism and we educate ourselves on the effects of racism. And hopefully by doing that, we start to engage in more intentional behaviors that combat implicit biases and any sort of inequities. I like what you're saying about turning it into activism. I imagine there are a lot of folks out there doing this amazing work, supporting vulnerable populations, trying to save people and unable to put on that additional filter to Mm -hmm. become anti-racist. And so what are some Mm -hmm. first steps that someone can take? I mean, should this be at the individual level? Should this be at the organizational level? I think the answer is both. We can start with leadership in healthcare organizations and start by having these conversations about racial injustices and how it impacts the clients that we serve and how it impacts the delivery of the health services that we provide and also about diversity within their own organization. All of those conversations should have the goal of promoting health equity for the clients that are being served and should also end with action steps because it's not enough to just talk about it. Conversations have to lead to action and to change. I know that a lot of healthcare providers are really looking to their leadership to provide guidance on how to do that. Healthcare providers have to do work within their organization to make sure that they are fostering an environment where people of different races, nationalities, culture, feel safe. I love what you said about making health equity an actionable plan and not just have these amorphous conversations Mm -hmm. that don't lead anywhere. But I wonder if we can take a step back for a moment. Before a leader could orchestrate a conversation, a productive conversation among his or her staff, there's some prep work that needs to be done. I wonder what your thoughts are about how to support individuals through a process of thinking about their own role in perpetuating that infrastructure. I think that the first step is to be able to name it, to be able to educate yourself on what racial trauma is, what implicit biases are, and to really see where you stand and how you fit into this problem that many folks were not aware existed until recently. So is it okay if I share a little bit about my own personal experience? Absolutely. So in the midst of all these protests, someone had shared a link 
to Dr. Robin D'Angelo's YouTube video on white fragility. It was eye-opening for me that I thought I wasn't racist. I have this self-perception as Filipino-American. I'm in a mixed-race relationship, and my kids are mixed-race, and how could that possibly make me racist? And here I am, you know, being schooled in this video by this woman who is a white woman that calls out everyone's massive level of unawareness as they have benefited from the infrastructure this whole time. And by not being activists, they are complicit is the word mm -hmm. she used. I found that awakening incredibly jarring. And I feel like I can't talk to providers that are out there in New York dealing with much more day-to-day, moment-to-moment trauma than I am. I can't tell them to go to their leaders in their organization to have a conversation about diversity and trying to right the disparities in, in healthcare without you, asking them to first think about where they stand on the topic. And I think you said this before, it's just like, take a moment to, to think about where you stand right. before you enter our room. It's not just about where you stand, but what do you want to do about it? Right. And, and you might not know what you want to do about it when you first start this process. I saw Health Affairs posted the results from a nationally representative poll that said 88% of Blacks believe that Blacks experience racism in the United States. 87% characterize racism as a very serious or serious problem. 78% see racism as widespread in the United States. So if the overwhelming majority of Black people that you know, Black people that you work with, Black people that you serve in your organizations experience racism and believe that racism is widespread, then that means that racism impacts all of us. And so we all have work to do to figure out what our role is and it's okay to not know from the very start what that work is, but there are things that can be done, like educating yourself on what racism is and how it manifests in the healthcare delivery system and how it contributes to implicit bias and how it impacts health inequities. As you're listing this range of topics that, that people should educate themselves on. I'm realizing, oh my gosh, it's not like there's a dearth of literature that's out there. People have been writing about this for decades. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much literature out there. Harvard Business School actually made available an article called African American Inequality in the United States. Even if you are well-versed in the history of racism in this country, you may not be as well-versed in the topic of implicit bias. That's a good place to start. It's interesting because I think many people, including myself, thought they understood racism, thought they mm -hmm. understood health equity, health disparities, causes of health disparities. And I think as a public health professional, 
my response is, well, let's just get everybody access to care. How do we do that? How, how do we improve the system so we can improve service delivery and get them the care that they need? And what I was ignoring was that the system was based on a racist infrastructure. I mean, the care goes to the people that have health insurance and the people that have health insurance are the people that have jobs and are middle class. And it's, it feels like the system has been moving toward increasing access to care when it's really about how do you break the infrastructure that has been built on racism. That's exactly right. And Annalisa, I think your story about how you came to realize that over the past few weeks is really powerful and probably more powerful than anything I can say on the topic because, you know, I've as a Black woman, I've always understood, but not everyone has had that same awareness. You recently realized that it's not as simple as access to care. It's not as simple as addressing the social determinants of health, though addressing social determinants of health is a huge part of how we start to address health inequities. And we meet people where they are because we know that not all people trust the healthcare system because they've had experiences that were not favorable. And there may have been times where I was complicit in perpetuating that experience without knowing. I think this stage of discussion that we're having across the country, it's raw. It's (laughs) raw. It is uncomfortable I'm vulnerable because I'm revealing my own ignorance on the issue for so many years, but the discomfort is it's about time. Yes, I I would agree with that. Black people, people of color are constantly dealing with discomfort, being the only black person or the only person of color in a room. There's discomfort associated with that. Being followed around in a store, there's discomfort associated with that. Even reading about how COVID is disproportionately impacting people of my race is Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. So yes, I would say that the discomfort is long overdue, but it's also necessary and your vulnerability helps to create a safe space for other people who are not comfortable for whatever reasons. So I would suggest that you welcome that vulnerability and that you embrace it because that vulnerability will most likely help others. Hope, Behavioral Health and COVID-19 is produced by me at home with my kids in the next room. You can follow HMA on Twitter at HMA Consultants, and you can find us on LinkedIn. Find out more about HMA podcasts at www.healthmanagement.com forward slash podcast. My name is Annalisa Baker. Stay strong, New York. Thanks for listening.